All right. Uh, so we're continuing our series through Proverbs, and uh, we're going to continue in these themes as we've talked about chapters 10 through 30. There's a lot of individual Proverbs that do with a lot of individual things, and there's carryover in many of these categories. But this morning, we're going to particularly look at work ethic. So work in the idea of vocational labor. For most of, for most of people, it's what you do Monday through Friday. Um, and so we have this love-hate relationship with work. We feel fulfilled when we work. We love when we accomplish things and we get recognized for our work. But if we're honest, our flesh recoils against it. And most of us have to battle with this temptation every day. Because it's a lot easier to be lazy. It's a lot easier to watch the world go by. But we kind of need to eat. We kind of want a roof over our head and clothes on our back and car and, you know, and, and, and all, those, all those things. And so we wrestle with this. It'd be much easier if I didn't have to work, but I need to. And so the cycle goes as we go through our lives. And this tension exists because God gave us work as a good thing. It was given to Adam as a gift before the fall. It was actually an honor to be a steward of God's kingdom. And Adam worked without sin. Imagine that. Without toil, without pain, without sweat, without frustration, without anxiety. And it was a good thing. But the, but the fairy tale is gone because of sin. When sin entered the world, everything becomes corrupted, including work. Here's what Genesis 3 says. It'll be up on the screen, but I want to read Genesis 3. You're probably familiar with this, but I think the details are helpful here. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And to Adam, Adam is the one who was given the gift of uh, tending his, his priestly duty to guard and protect the garden. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thanks, Adam. And the pain you shall, and in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. It's a promise from the very beginning. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. Here's the promise. We're going to be working we're going to be sweating the thorns and thistles of the cursed earth until we go back to the ground. This is a given. And so there's no, no shock that Proverbs deals with it so much. So we've looked at Proverbs in these two paths, the path of life and the path of death. The path of life is righteousness and, um, and goodness and, and uh, diligence and all these things. But it's also... Uh, like a vibrant tree. This path to life has many branches. We've dealt with wisdom. We've dealt with righteousness. We're going to deal with diligence today, and there are many of these other branches that we're going to deal with. And that's contrasted, this, this tree of life is contrasted with the path of death and the tree of death that the fools walk on and that the wicked walk on and that the sluggers just sit on. And we're going to look at them this morning. And I also want you to think about how we work says a lot about who we are. 
Because the book of Proverbs is written in context of the wise son who brings honor to his family and the foolish son who brings shame. Do we work as ones who would bring honor to our heavenly father who has left us as stewards of his kingdom? And so whether you go out to work every day, whether you log into work or you're a mom who works diligently at home, this is a virtuous attribute. We're to be diligent workers wherever he has us as a, a witness to him. But idleness is not. So often I will recommend good reading. Uh, here's another one. Uh, it's brilliantly written. Charles Spurgeon wrote a series of stories and um, ironic vignettes called John Plowman's Talk and John Plowman's Pictures. Uh, it's gold. I wish I could quote the entire chapter. Uh, you just have to look it up. It's, it's well worth the read. It is brilliantly written. But the idea is John Plowman is the everyman. He's the guy in the plow out in the field. What does, what does a life honoring to God look like for the regular guy? That's what it's written to. So to a room of regular guys and girls, uh, I, I want to read some of his first chapter. One of the things he hates more than anything is the idol. The, the, the I-D-L-E, the person who is idle. His first chapter and most of the chapters deal something with being lazy or being idle. Uh, and so his entire first chapter, he holds no punches, which you would expect from Charles Spurgeon. So here's what he says. He says, the ugliest sight in the world is one of those thoroughbred loafers, not the stuff you wear on your feet, uh, the, the, the lazy person. He goes on to say, who would hardly hold up a basin if it were raining porridge. All right, so if you don't speak 19th century uh, British English, the idea is this person is so lazy, if God sent food down from the sky, he wouldn't even pick up a bowl to catch it. He takes it a step further. Perhaps if the shower should turn to beer, he might wake himself up a little bit. But he would make up for it afterwards. This is the slothful man in the Proverbs. And he says, every man ought to have patience and pity for poverty. But for laziness, a long whip or a turn at the treadmill might be better. Now, they didn't have like Stairmaster type treadmills then. That's based on a real concept. A treadmill is where you would hook up horses or, or mules to a large wheel that would tread grain. So basically, if someone's lazy, hook them up to do what a horse should do, spin them in a circle for a while, and maybe that'll smack, smack some sense into them. Uh, one more example, and I think this is really practical for us. He says, idle men tempt the devil to tempt them. Mm. He who plays when he should work has an evil spirit as a playmate. And he who neither works nor plays is the workshop for Satan. Just think about this for a moment. This is good. Idle men tempt the devil to tempt them. He who plays when he should work has an evil spirit to be his playmate. And he who neither works nor plays is a workshop for Satan. Isn't this where we get into trouble? How many of us get caught in sin when we're, when we're busy and when we're productive? How much of a temptation are the desires of our flesh when we're too busy to sit down and indulge them. When do we get tempted? Guys especially, when do we get tempted? We've got too much time on our hands. 
We've got too much time to be alone with our own desires. I think Spurgeon's on to something here. Uh, Paul was also concerned with work ethic. So when Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, I don't know what was going on there, but in both letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, one of the major themes is working and admonishing the idol. And those who don't work, don't eat. Uh, so this is going to be uh, our, our lens through looking, for, looking through this. So if you can turn to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to end in 2 Thessalonians. But I want you to see how Paul views himself. Paul's a diligent worker. If you don't know where 1 Thessalonians is, it's in the New Testament. Um, go forward past the Gospels and Acts and Romans and Paul's first few letters. All the T's are together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. 1 Thessalonians. Look how Paul views himself and his ministry. As we know from Acts, Paul's a tent maker. Paul is no slouch. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Man, his first desire is the gospel. But right after that is, I want to make sure you're not distracted by, by caring for us. I'm gonna, my gift to you is the gospel, and I'm going to work so that you don't have to care for me. Look where he goes on, chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing in, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and work with your own hands as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Notice how the love of God drives our work ethic and determines our witness before outsiders. Uh, one step further here, talking about those who labor in the church, chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish, correct, warn the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I think there's, there's a, a temptation for us to make this like sacred-secular distinction. Well, my, my life for Christ is over here. What I do on Sunday morning, that's one thing. Well, I'm, in, well, I'm at the office, or when I'm doing this other work, it's, it's completely separate. But it's not. We live quorum Deo. We live our entire lives before the face of God. And so everything we do, whether in, in Christian community or when no Christian is watching, we do it because God is watching. We do it for him as a witness to him. But before we get started, I know this is a long introduction, but we need to be clear on what this is and what this is not. Our vocational our household work, everything we're going to talk, talk about in Proverbs, does not take place in the eternal realm. This is temporal work. This is earthly work. We got to be clear, and we'll spend more time on this, but we do not work for God's approval. We cannot work for eternal salvation. But 
talking to Christians, this is a family conversation, brothers and sisters, we work out of our salvation. We work this way because we're approved by God. And most importantly, because our Savior is diligent in his work. Our Savior worked with his hands. Our Savior worked to keep the law. Our Savior worked to fulfill the law. Our Savior did his greatest work on the cross, taking our sin, our penalty. What if he was lazy? What if he was slack? If he sinned one time, if he didn't keep the law, where would we be? Christians, we should not be afraid of hard work because the work that is needed for salvation, the works unto salvation, those were done for us. Christ did those on our behalf. And because of that, we are now sons of the living God. And I say that sons intentionally because every man or woman is an heir through Jesus Christ. And so we work out of that. And we shouldn't be afraid of work. All right, so I'm going to pray. We're going to walk through some text in Proverbs. So here's what we're going to do, like we did before. Uh, this is that, remember my picture last week of the tour guide. So we're going to be walking through Proverbs. I'm going to point out some here. We're going to move fairly quickly. This is representative. I can't do it with every text on work. I can't do it with every text on the diligent or the sluggard or the, the slothful. But I want you, to, I want you to, to, to navigate this. I want you to see what God commends and what God warns against. And so uh, what to do, what not to do, and who to avoid. And uh, we'll, go, we'll go quickly. But I want you to be able just to get this sense as you read through Proverbs in the future to see this, this diligent uh, exposition of our work. Because it's going to take up the most hours of our lives until Christ returns or he takes us home. So let's pray. Then we're going to walk through the texts that are listed in your notes. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. You are a great and awesome God. You are so patient with us. You have given us a plan to work because you worked for six days as a pattern for us and rested, not because you need rest, but because we do. And we are to find our rest and refreshment in you. Lord, help us to hold this proper balance as diligent workers who rest in you spiritually and physically. Lord, most importantly, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who did the job we couldn't do, who worked in a, who worked in a way that we, were, that, that we should, but fail out miserably every day. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, that we get to walk in Christ's work. That we get to labor in his righteousness. That our salvation is worked out because you have worked in us first. And so for the Christian, this is not moralism. This is joyful obedience. And may we be joyfully obedient as we open your word this morning. And may your spirit open eyes and hearts Convict where needed and encourage where needed so that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So please turn to Proverbs. 
and uh, we are going to run through these. I like that Sam hit on verse chapter three. Uh, we're in chapter ten. Sam hit on verse three. I'm gonna hit on verse four and five. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Thank you, Sam, for that. But He thwarts the craving of the wicked. Here's a promise: You are His. He's not gonna let you go go hungry. But if your cravings are wicked, He's gonna make them a bitter taste in your mouth. Verse four. This is pretty straightforward. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Uh, in short, no one ever made any money being lazy. Being lazy never made anyone rich. This should be obvious. And I think this, this, might, um, this might press us a little bit. Because we rightfully so do not like the prosperity gospel. We rightfully so don't like, do this and God will make you rich. That is a lie. But this is true. Being lazy never made anyone rich. Here's the other thing. Riches are not bad in Scripture. Having money is not a bad thing in Scripture, especially in Proverbs. God blesses his people, and we can rejoice in God blessing his people. He uses, um, he uses earthly things to bless his people and to shame the wicked. Everything you have is from the Lord. So if you... If he's given you things, if he's given you money, if he's given you riches, praise the Lord for that. If he's given you little, praise the Lord for that. It is not the money or the riches that are the problem. It is the love of the money that is the problem. Also, rest is from God. So just because you rest, that's not sinful. God has given us rest. He's commanded us rest but it's the love of rest the love of leisure that makes it an idol both busyness and money and those that in the, the things that come from it or laziness and idleness they can both become idols i-d-o-l because we love them we love the gifts more than we love the giver all right verse five he who gathers in summer is a prudent son but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Remember, the thesis of this entire section is verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a, fool, a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Here's the two paths. The wise son, the foolish son. The wise son, he gathers in the summer. He works hard. He knows the time and the seasons. He is ready to bring in a crop and bring honor to his family because in those days... If you're working as a son, you were providing for your family. You carried on the family business. So if you didn't gather, your parents didn't eat. And so the lazy, foolish son who doesn't gather brings shame because his parents starve because of his lack of diligence. So we get the principle in verse 4, and then we get an illustration of how this is practiced in verse 5. All right, let's jump forward to verse 26, chapter 10 still. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. If you remember the conversation on the fool last week, it's not going to go well if you trust important things to a fool or a sluggard. Because sluggards don't just harm themselves. Whoever trusts in a sluggard is going to be harmed as well. This is the worst meal you're going to have. Instead of wine, you're served vinegar. 
because he doesn't keep the wine well, it turns into vinegar. Instead of delicious grilled meat, you are served a burnt hockey puck. Here's, here's the, the, the picture here. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Instead of this, this beautiful aroma of a meal, you're getting the burnt smoke in your eyes that no one wants. The slothful one, like a sloth, is slow and unproductive. But the sluggard, he's made it his profession. He is committed to his craft. He has made laziness an art form. He is like the fool devoted to his folly. And if you get into business with him, if you trust him, he's going to bring you right along with it. He is a, a spreader of his own judgment. All right. Chapter 12, verse 11. This really des describes our society right now. Uh, there is nothing new under the sun. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. How true is this? Our society looks down on the diligent worker, the one who goes to work every day and is, and is, and is honorable and does what they, they say they're going to do. But our society exalts those who pursue worthless pursuits, right? I mean, how many people have gotten pulled into get-rich-quick schemes or gotten pulled down this road? If you just do this, make all of your wildest dreams come true. Or how many simple things are designed to keep us busy with worthless pursuits? How many of us have lost hours, if not days, a week on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and whatever else? There is nothing more worthless than just scrolling something mindless that distracts us. How many of us have looked down, myself included, and like, where did the last hour or two hours of my life go? What does Proverbs say about that person? They lack sense. But the one who works his land, if you go to work every day, you will always eat, guaranteed. I don't care if you work at McDonald's. They're paying better than good jobs now. If you work every day, you will eat. There, is ne there has never been a person who goes to work every day who, who cannot eat. You may not be able to have all kinds of other things, but you're going to eat. That's the, that's the idea here. All right, let's move on. Verse 24, chapter 12. The, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Now, at first, this sounds extreme, but I want you to think about it. If you work hard... You'll be promoted, you'll be given responsibility, rule, governance. You'll be given more authority, you'll be given freedom. But those who don't, the slothful, will be put to forced labor. Now, we don't have slavery anymore, and their, slavery was common in their, in their culture, but it's different than chattel slavery that we have in our, or we had in our American history. In those days, in so many cultures around the world, if you can't pay a debt, you will sell yourself and your children into slavery. I've been talking to a pastor in Pakistan where this is still a common practice. If you can't pay a debt, the loan sharks now own you until you pay that, that debt off. This still happens around the world. How many people, okay, we may not have slavery, but how many people become enslaved or bond, in bondage to a job that they hate? Because their work ethic is terrible. 
How many people keep getting fired or um, because they don't want to work hard at something that might be worthwhile, they feel like they're in a dead-end job? There is freedom in diligence. There is bondage in slothfulness. Verse 27 of uh, chapter 12. Whoever, I love this one, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. What's he talking about here? Will not roast his game. What is the most delicious way to eat meat? Slow roasted over a fire. He's talking about barbecue. <laughs> He's talking about barbecue. Look, read this again. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. The lazy man is like, no, nah, that, that pulled pork's going to take too long. Let's throw it in the microwave. You are missing out. But the diligent man, he gets the finer things. He gets the precious things because he knows what kind of work needs to go in to enjoy things. And so your, your hard work, diligence, helps you to enjoy finer things. Every one of us, if you've had food cooked well, it's like this, this, is, this is where it's at. And then you have, you have something that's like sitting under a heat lamp for three hours, and you're like, I, I want that thing. But how many of us are willing to put in the work so that it, it tastes that much better? The diligent are satisfied in the fruit of their labor because they work hard. All right, chapter 14, verse 23. And again, I'm, I'm working through these quickly. I just want you to see some of these examples and see the picture that the scriptures are painting. Verse 23, in all toil there is profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. If you haven't said ouch yet, this might be the one. Let's read that again. In all toil there is profit. I think for us, especially for Americans, we've got a hierarchy of, of, of work. You know, you've got doctors, lawyers, astronauts, or you know, whatever your, uh, your uh, hierarchy is. But then they're like, ah, well, this, this isn't really worthwhile. But Proverbs is right. In all toil... There's profit. Again, working anywhere you will eat. And you work anywhere long enough and you work there well enough, there will be greater profit because everyone wants to use and promote a good worker. But mere talk tends only to poverty. In short, working at something all, always pays better than talking about working and doing nothing. Working at something always pays better than talking about working and doing nothing. How many of us have been guilty of that? Talk a big game, but do not follow through. How many have done business with people like that? How many have worked with people like that or hired people like that? Every time I meet someone who's like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, I'm like, okay, I'll wait. Let's see. Because typically, it's the people who talk the biggest game who have the least follow through. I like the people who are very humble and exceed my expectations every time. All right, let's move on to the next one. Now we get into the uh, kind of a, a uh, kind of a principle here, Proverbs sixteen twenty six. This is interesting as we talk about work. It's amazing how God has designed us. He has called us to work. He has commanded us to work. And he's built within us an appetite, even if it's our literal appetite. 1626, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. I don't know about you guys, but like I work so hard when I know there's a good meal coming afterward. 
Like on our, on our, on our work days, when, when I know something good's coming, I am pushing through because the meal's coming next. God has built within us an appetite. Even if it's just to feed our faces, we want to work because we like to eat. God is wise in doing that. We keep working because we, we want to keep eating. We want our family to keep eating. And whether that's in your vocation or mom's, when, when, when you're at home, that is a great motivation when that little baby's crying or that little child is throwing a fit because he needs to eat and then, and, and then he eats. That is in us from a very early age. We get, we get hangry and if we don't eat, everything falls apart. But that is our motivation to keep eating. All right, chapter 19, verse 24. Here's where it gets a little ridiculous uh, and I love it. Um, chapter 19, verse 24, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. How lazy is the sluggard? You might be a sluggard if the forklift is too much exercise for you. Some of you will get that on the way home. You might be a sluggard if it is too much effort to get your grubby hand out of the bowl and bring it back to your mouth. Now you think this would be ridiculous, but some of you have seen the show, My 600-Pound Life. You either groan or, or, or chuckle or both. Because it's one of those things that you hate to watch, but you can't turn away. And how many saw this massive woman who took, who, she took up the living room? And her skinny little husband kept feeding her and feeding her. She could not bring the food to her mouth, and she ate all day. And this little guy kept enabling her. There's nothing new under the sun. I think that one's just, just funny. All right, chapter 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. This is like our example earlier. The sluggard is also a fool. The sluggard is, doesn't work and then gets surprised when he doesn't have income. Sound familiar in our day at all? We live in a culture of entitlement. Typically, it's someone else's fault too. I need a handout because I deserve it, and it's everyone else's fault because I'm not eating. So just kind of give you a peel behind the, the curtain. When people come to us for financial help within the body or outside the body, we start asking, okay, what do you do with your day? Where do you work? What income do you have? And if it's, well, and there's all these excuses, um, that's a pretty easy problem to solve. Well... If and we'll get there later in Second uh, Thessalonians, but if you don't work, you don't eat kind of idea. But don't be surprised when you don't have money for bills when you sit home and watch TV all day. I'm not going to take money from people who go to work every day and give to the church to give to you so that I can enable you in your laziness. You're welcome. Um, that's not just us. We do that as a church. The slugger does not plow in autumn and he'll seek at harvest and have nothing. He's also a fool. Can you imagine saying, I'm not going to put in any work, I'm not going to put in, in, in any effort, but I want to be there when the reward comes in. Uh, where's my share? Well, your share is equal to your effort. All right, chapter 20, verse 13. This is a big one. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Simple. You can't earn a living if you're asleep. Step one to earning money, open your eyes, get off the couch. This should not have to be said, but it has to be said. 
We have more sleep time and leisure time than any people in any society in history. We've got more money than any people in any society in history. And we're more depressed and more discouraged and more slothful because of it. So, step one, open your eyes. Step two, get out of the house. All right. Chapter 22, verse 29. Here's kind of the result of the the diligence that we've been looking at. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. There's an important principle here. If you are diligent at your work, you will be recognized and do important things in front of important people. You will be honored by God and by man. Two great examples, Joseph and Daniel. They were called into paganism, outright idolatrous hedonism, and they were faithful to the Lord. They were diligent in their work, and they were made second only to the king. We see this time and time again. The people who are diligent at their work, who do it joyfully, who take the extra step and don't cut corners, they get promoted, they get recognized. Because many, many of you in here have to hire people or work with, work with other people. That's the person you want. You want the person who comes in early and stays late. You want the person who works hard and does it with a smile. You want to promote that person. You want to give them more responsibility because they make your job easier. You don't want the slacker who could be anywhere else but there. Doesn't look people in the eye shuffles his feet, and doesn't work hard. The world recognizes, everyone recognizes this. But this is an important biblical principle. And we don't just do it because we want to be promoted. That's a, that's a, that's a plus. But we do it because we're sons of the king. Because we have already stood before the king. And he has declared us righteous. And he said, you are mine. I'm going to give you my righteous robes. I'm going to give you a seat in my castle. And you'll eat from my table for eternity. Act like my son. Amen. Amen. That's the idea here. We should be the best workers. Why? Because we're immortal. I mean, let me define that for you. We're not eternal. We had a beginning, but we are immortal. We will never die if you are in Christ. That's why Spurgeon, continuing on in this chapter, he says, a godly plowman ought to be the best man in the field and let no team beat him. If you work yourself to death, praise the Lord, you get to die and be with Christ. All right, let's look at uh, another one in chapter 24, verse 27. This is a favorite of Josh's. He wrote me like five paragraphs. I'm going to use a paragraph and a half. Thank you, Josh. Um, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your home. This is a great practical principle about how to prioritize and get our affairs in order. So what's he saying here? Um, He's not talking about building a house now that takes forever with permits and all that. But even still, if you want to plant crops... You need to know seasons. You, you need to have a plan, and you need to be able to wait. Because you, you, you plant in the spring, if you're doing it well, and you, and you um, reap a harvest in the fall. 
So if you get all your, your uh, house pretty and ready to go and your family's got nothing to eat, you've kind of done things backwards. So you put things in the right order. You plant your crops in your fields first. You pay attention to what takes longer. And then you can build a house while your crops are fertilizing within the ground. There's no rushing plants. There's no fast forwarding that. And so this is practically true for farmers. None of us work in, in, in agriculture, but it's, but it's principally true for us. I can talk to the young men here, especially young men who want to be married. Talk to many of you. Your desires are for, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to get married. I want to have, I want to have kids. I want to do all these things. And you don't even know how you're going to feed those kids. You don't even have a plan for what comes after this. Get your field prepared first. Because when you talk to this young woman's father, and I hope you do, he's going to say, how are you going to provide for my daughter? How's she going to eat? Where is she going to live? Have you thought about that? Like, no, but we're in love. I'd love to be on the other side of one of those phone calls. Prepare your field first so that you can provide for your, your family. Or those who love the flashy things. I want all this exterior stuff because the house looks, looks good. I want the curb appeal, but don't think about what actually matters over time. Things that take time to invest but give a, a greater payoff. And this is the simple way to think about this. If you are a good cook, you know how long things take. If you are a sloppy cook, you start everything at the same time. And your salad gets, gets soggy, your meat gets cold, and your potatoes are cooking for another 30 minutes. If no one knows their way around the kitchen, that didn't make any sense to you. But if you plan things well, everything comes out hot and ready at the same time. And if you invite me over, please do that. <laughs> and my wife will tell you I'm not joking. All right. Last week, we hit our, uh, our, our kind of quick hitters going through... Uh, the, the, the first few verses of chapter 26. So turn to, turn to chapter 26. We looked at the fools last week. So we're going to continue in chapter 26 with the quick-hitting application for the sluggard. Um, so these are going to be pretty extreme. And we're going to run through them quickly, and then we're going to get to our, our application. This is just to show you how ridiculous it is to be a sluggard. Verse 13 Chapter 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. What? That sounds strange. Until you've met that person. Until you've met someone who's so afraid of the outside, who's so afraid of work, or so afraid of new things, they'll make any excuse they can to stay in the house. Now it sounds a little more familiar. Even to the point of saying, there's a lion around every corner. Now, even if you're still like, ah, that's a little bit much. I have met this person. I am not lying. I know this guy. He's been coddled his whole life. I'm not going to say his name. He's, he's not here, though, and he'll never hear this. But he's been coddled his entire life. He has lived inside video games. But when asked to do something outside or given a responsibility, quote, unquote, the world is too scary. I don't know if he thinks the, that the world's going to be Grand Theft Auto or Space Invaders, whatever he's, he's, he's thinking. But he has been trained by his parents to be this way. How many people are so fearful and make ridiculous excuses? I can't go do this. 
because there might be a lion. You might as well say there's a, a, a lion. Here's the slogan. Verse 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. Now, sometimes we just breeze through these, but I want you to stop. Get the picture here. This is hilarious. What does a door hinge do? It goes back and forth in one direction. How far does a door hinge travel? It, never, it moves, but it never leaves the room. This is brilliant. Here's the sluggard. Right side on my bed, left side on my bed. Like a hinge, back and forth. He may move, but he never changes location. Maybe you guys don't think it's as brilliant as I do, but that's, that is great poetry right there. Chapter, or, or, verse 15. Here's, here's the, uh, the continuation of earlier. The sluggard buries his hand into the dish. This is not table etiquette, ladies and gentlemen. That he buries his hand into the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. This is hyperbole to make a point. This sluggard is a slob with no etiquette and no energy. But how many people have we seen like this? Maybe not to this extreme. But how lazy have we gotten? Guys training their dogs to go fetch beers for them or like all the gadgets that people will, will come up with so they don't have to get off the couch. This is our world. And what's the result? Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Can you reason with such a person? Even if seven wise men stood in front of him and told him the folly of his ways, he doesn't care. Because he's wise in his own eyes. Like the people in the time of judges who do what is right in their own eyes. Like the fool in Proverbs and the fools in our day. There is nothing new under the sun. So what's the point of all this? Beloved, don't be a sluggard. Don't be a fool. And learn how to spot them and avoid them. All right, so in our last few moments here. What do we do with this? What's our application for this? These are extreme examples. They're meant, to, they're meant to be shocking. They're meant to get our attention. Why? Because how many of us in this room have been guilty of binge-watching hours of Netflix or finishing the entire bag of chips or the entire half-gallon ice cream? Bubba, you're not supposed to celebrate that. <laughs> or the entire box of cookies. How many of us have been guilty of being slothful and idle and sluggard. But I want you to hear this. Rest, sleep, and good food are not sins. Rest, sleep, and good food are not sins. They're, they're, they're good things. They're a gift from God. But when they become a way of life and your reason for living, then you are a dishonorable son. Then you have made an idol out of these things. But before we go any further, I want to make sure we're not guilty of making the error on the other side of the ditch. So some of you are like, this is not me. I have no problem being lazy. Some of you have overcorrected and fallen in the ditch on the other side of the road. You have made your work your worship. That is also a sin. I have heard men say by their words, but more often by their actions. Well, this is how I honor God. I go to work every day. But I don't lead my family spiritually. I don't care about the word. I don't care about fellowship with other believers. 
Even if you have to work six days a week, God has commanded a day of rest and refreshment in him. That begins with corporate worship that, that is marked by building up the saints. We've got to make sure that we are, not, we are not falling in the ditch of laziness or falling in the ditch of excess in our work. God gave us this pattern of, of, of work and rest. Leisure and work can both become idols. And these principles, they apply to our spiritual lives as well. So if we're diligent in our work, we'll be recognized, we'll be promoted, and we'll be imitated. But if we're diligent in our Christian walk, we will grow, we will bear fruit, and inspire others to glorify God. Our diligence pays off in the earthly realm, but also in the spiritual realm. So I want to look at three passages uh, rather quickly and I want us to look at what do we truly work for. First one is in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 10. And so before we get into this, I want, I want you to think, is your greater treasure, your greater concern, things that are stored up in, in heaven or on earth? What do you labor for that will last? What is the foundation of the house that you are building what is the foundation of the house that your family resides in? Is it rock or is it sand? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, or verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Notice how Paul brings in this, this theme of skill that we see in, in Proverbs. Paul is saying, if anyone's going to be good at building uh, something for the kingdom, it's, it's, it's going to be me. But I'm not the end-all, be-all, because other people are building on it as well. Let each one take care of how he builds on it. So think about this. Our work cannot add to the work of Christ, but it can continue. It does build upon it. This is what he says. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the foundation of everything else that comes out of it. This is the basis for our work. This is our foundation. If Christ has began a work in you, all of our work comes out of him. All of our work is to him and through him and for him. That is the only foundation that will last. Everything else, whether sand or concrete or rebar or whatever you use, it will disintegrate. It will not last. But this foundation, it will last. That's why Paul's saying, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, all this stuff other people may use to build with, but don't use earthly means to build eternal things. Even gold and silver, which are valuable now, mean nothing upon the foundation of Christ. Meaning, like Paul said to the church in Galatia, you who began in the spirit, are you now trying to continue in the flesh? I know so many Christians who put so much stock in their earthly things. Now, don't forget everything I said earlier. We must be good workers. Go to work. Be a good employer. But know its proper realm. You're working for now. But if our economy's taught us anything, your savings, your, your, your IRAs, 
uh, they are very malleable. They can be morphed and shaped depending on what's going on around. But, our, but your treasure in heaven, it will never perish. It will never fade. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Meaning it will become visible. What you have been working toward, you will put before the Lord one day. And that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire that will test what sort of work each one has done. We've talked about the refiner's fire before. But if you want to take um, pure ore, O-R-E, gold or things like that, and you want, to, you want to refine it, you must put it under fire. And as the fire is turned up, so are the impurities burnt off. It is the fire, the refiner's fire. That was prophesied in Zechariah that we see in so many other places. It is the refiner's fire that reveals what is gold and what is dross. The same fire that sanctifies and purifies the saints destroys the wicked. Your works will be put through fire. On the day of judgment, we will all stand with what we have done. Thankfully, if you are in Christ, even if you are the laziest Christian ever, you are in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But what Paul's saying here is don't work for things that are going to be burnt up in the end. And it's essentially what he's saying in 14 and 15. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's heavenly things built on Christ. If anything work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Meaning if you are in Christ, this refiner's fire will purify you. You just may have a lot more to be purified than than someone else. But praise God, that fire is for purification, but also for condemnation. How much of your work will survive the refiner's fire? What do you put your effort into? Be diligent at your work, but keep it in its proper place. And so that's how we see our spiritual lives as work, and we should be diligent in it. Uh, Everything is going back to Philippians these days. So let's go to Philippians 2. We just looked at this on Wednesday. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. A lot of people struggle with this. How do I work out my salvation? Aren't I saved by faith or through faith, by grace, not of my own works? Absolutely. That's why we made that distinction at the beginning. Look what Paul says here in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. We talked about this on Wednesday. What's the therefore, therefore? Everything before, that's the Christ hymn. Christ humbled himself. Christ took on the form of a servant. Christ stepped down off his heavenly throne and walked among us. Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that he would die on your behalf so that he would be exalted with the name above every name. Therefore, if Christ was obedient, what excuse do you have to not be obedient? Not only in my presence, not only when your boss is looking, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation by fear and trembling. Notice the words there. Work out your own salvation. You are working according to what you already possess. You are not working for your salvation. You are working out your salvation. This is the faith without works is dead kind of idea. Our Christian work, our spiritual work comes out of our salvation because of Christ. We don't divorce what we do 
in our spiritual life or in our secular life. Christ was obedient to the cross. There is nothing your boss or your job or your kids can do to you that even compares to the work that Christ did on your behalf. Four, here's our other motivation. Notice, notice, you look back at the cross and you're reminded right now, for it is God who works in you, both to his will, both to will and work for his good pleasure. The obedient Christian looks back to the cross. They're reminded of God's work in us through Christ and right now, the spirit working in us. And we look forward to his will and good pleasure that he is conforming us to his image. We look back to the work of the Son. We look to the current uh, work of the Spirit. And we look forward to the finished work of God our Father when he brings us to completion. This is what it means to work in the Christian life. It's a good thing. This is what, where what was lost in the fall is, begins to be restored. All right, one more quote from Spurgeon. One final passage and we're done. Here's what he says also um, at the end of this, the, the first chapter in Idolus. Idleness. I do wish that all Christians would be industrious. For religion never was destined to make us idle. Jesus was a great worker. And his disciples must not be afraid of hard work. He goes on to say, too many are serving the Lord with cold hearts and drowsy souls. And then they place blame upon God when they struggle. Too many are serving the Lord with cold hearts and drowsy souls. So I want to end where we began our service in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And then we will wrap up. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to notice the gospel connection with the practical work. We started reading in verse 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. In his final exhortation to the church in Thessalonica... Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. His first concern, the gospel. As happened among you, and that we may be delivered from, from wicked and evil men, even before his own safety, the gospel. Fear not, or excuse me, for not, all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Here's Paul's exhortation and his encouragement. The gospel reminds us that God has you. He will establish you and guard you, and he will keep you in his righteous right hand forever. You are immortal. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. He appeals toward God's love and Christ's work on our behalf. When he says, verse 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. His appeal is the gospel. The foundation is the gospel. But the practical exhortation is the purity of the church. You got someone who is lazy, who is, who is, who is idle. They're going to drag you down like the sluggard in Proverbs. He goes on to say, for you yourselves know, almost repeating what he said in 1 Thessalonians, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you. 
It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we are with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's why we guard the church's resources. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command, not suggest, and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Brothers and sisters, work out of your salvation and do not grow weary in doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you for the wisdom of it. That we can be instructed in eternal things and temporal things. That you are a God outside of time and a God in time. You care what we do for eternity and you care what we do for today. Lord, may we be faithful in all of our endeavors. May we be good sons who bring you honor and glory. May we labor as unto the Lord. May we be diligent as a witness that you have transformed us. May we be obedient whether everyone's watching or no one's watching. Because Christ was our obedient on our behalf. May we not take our salvation for granted. May we work out of it with fear and trembling because we serve a holy an awesome God who has given us such a great salvation. How could we dare forsake it? Because you have worked in us. You are working in us. If there is anyone here this morning who is trusting in their own efforts, who thinks that they can work their way to heaven, who thinks that they have done enough good to stand before a perfect God, who would dare say, I don't need Christ because I'm good on my own. Lord, will you remind them that their fate is the same as the sluggard? Their fate is the same with the fool, and unless they turn to Jesus, the one who humbled himself on a cross, the name was above every name, that there is no life. But in him is life and life everlasting and no one can ever separate us from that life because of his love and it's in his name we pray amen